New Horizon has been serving the church in Northern Ireland since 1989, and we're delighted to bring you this talk today. We trust you will be blessed through this ministry. Yeah, good morning, everyone. It's really great to have everyone join us this morning. As you can tell, I'm not from around these here parts. Uh, I hail from Southern California, Los Angeles. So if I speak too quickly, please raise your hand so I'll slow down a little bit. I am aware I'm the one with the accent here. Uh, so please forgive me. Uh, welcome to the seminar. It's about addictions, renewed minds, and the post-COVID church. We do have, we don't, haven't bought enough handouts. I can see that. For any of you that are techie, here's a QR code that will bring up the, the handout. Yeah, you can get that on your phone or your device if you would like to do so. Uh, I'll keep it up there for a, f a few seconds. Okay. And, and I'm John, and this is Sally, and my wife of 17 years. And we are founders of Free Recovery, which is a registered charity in the UK. And we're also associates with Living Leadership. So I'm going to go ahead and pray again, if anyone hopefully doesn't mind. Lord, we just ask that you be with us this morning. Help us to keep our eyes, our hearts focused upon you. And open our hearts to learn what you want us to know this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So I'd like to begin with two verses about freedom and the responsibility uh, that we have to care for each other and for the purposes of this cinema, thinking about those with mental health and addiction issues. One thing COVID has highlighted in a very real way is the need for a savior and, and each other within the church. Are we okay with that sound? Yeah. Okay, there's the QR code again, if you weren't quite quickie, quick enough. I'll give you a few more seconds because there was a lady here that okay. hadn't yeah. quite got that. And then we'll read out the verses. We could read out the verses. Okay. Yeah. We're going to start with Isaiah 61, 1. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and release from darkness for the prisoners. And one of my favorite verses from the book of Galatians, chapter 5, verse 1. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. Today we are covering as best we can a little about the impact of COVID on addictive behavior. And we're going to be dealing with the following questions. Can the church provide safe and compassionate places for those struggling with addictive and life-controlling behaviors? What's the state of addictions in the UK? We touched us a little bit on that, and especially post-COVID, and its impact on the local church. Now, then we will present a biblical model that we have been developing over for many years now, which itself has been impacted by COVID especially in the practicalities of presentation and geographical impact. More about this a little bit later. We will be having a Q&A session at the end if we have time and it doesn't get too warm in here. Um, and we're also gonna have a couple of mini breakout sessions which you turn to your neighbor and have a chat. And please jot down your thoughts and questions as we go and save them for the session at the end. 
we will stay around at the end if anyone wants to chat with us further. Yeah. And you can always connect with us via our website um, and our email address, which you'll be provided with later, and it's on your handouts. And we also have some cards and some information up here. Yeah. So some of what we'll try to cover is a little bit about us. And the impact of COVID. Local church response to the possibilities. And the biblical model we have developed, which is not the only model out there that's been biblically run, but it's the one we have developed. Well, let's, let's dive in. Our heart, passion, and calling to provide biblical resources and support for those suffering with addictive behaviors, both in the church and in the surrounding community. This can be used for evangelism also. Now, prior to COVID, we ran biblical recovery courses at All Souls Church, laying a place in the center of London, using an established 12-step Christian model uh, before creating our own biblical model uh, rooted in the book of Galatians. Now, we saw firsthand the impact that addictions in both the lives of Christians and non-Christians. And, you know, also how a biblical model affected the recovery process of many of our guests. From some of the, picking, from some, some, excuse me, picking up the Bible for the very first time, to others finding a personal relevance, excuse me, relevance in the pages of scripture. I'll never forget the time of one guest, Mike, I, having read a verse, he, goes, he said, that's me, that's me. And then I, I quoted the scripture to him. I do not understand what I do for what I want to do. I do not do, but what I hate, I do. He had no clue that that came from scripture. We just read it out and he said, that's me. And all of a sudden the Bible was relevant to him. Yes. A few years ago, I finished a very long, laborious journey with a very, very part-time PhD where I did research on the impact of a biblical study of joy on those studying, of those struggling with addictive behaviors. It was a very small study, but I journeyed eight weeks with 25 people, all doing a daily ponder action prayer challenge with a key verse and an application, plus the encouragement to talk to God about their struggles and joys. There was also a weekly follow-up. The outcome was very clear that a daily interaction with the word of God encouraged a deeper walk with God, which in turn had a very positive impact on these participants' journey in many aspects of recovery. And there's a young, young girl, um, well, she's not so young. She ha acted rather young, but she's well into her 50s. She is still going on with the Lord, and she was a part of this study, and that has given me a deep encouragement. And also, a real life proof that consistency in the word of God and connecting with the living savior and, a, and the father has made a massive impact in her recovery journey. Amen. Now these aspects included developing new habits as Sally just shared and consistency, which is so important, which was you know, difficult for many of our participants and quite frankly, it's difficult for most of us. You know, and, and it's all about developing a new focus and a realization that doing this alone was incredibly difficult. And during COVID, like everybody we know, we moved all our work online and met with many people who are isolated and really, really struggling. 
others relished being alone. He did. <laughs> Isolation can be a trigger plus an opportunity to act out. It can also be a trigger for depression and anxiety, which in turn can encourage addictive behaviors as a way of escape. That's right. Well, let's step back a little bit and we'll share a little bit of our own journeys uh, with addictions and how God has led us to the work and that we started up at All Souls. Well, I grew up in the cocktail generation, uh, late 60s. My dad would come home from work he would make a pitcher of very dry martinis, and mom and dad would sit down and have a, have a martini. There would be cocktail parties at the house. Sometimes I would be devoted, devoted. I would be made the, um, the bartender, and it didn't, wasn't uh, too much of a stretch to taste what mom and dad were drinking, to discover that at least at that time in my life, I hated it. And so, summer of love only being a couple years past, I decided to try cannabis in the form of hashish. And it wasn't very long before I tried also amphetamines, speed, and then LSD. Uh, then my mom died and I crashed and burned. I was raised Catholic, but if they had given me the information, the tools to deal with that, I certainly didn't pay attention to hear it. And I went off the deep end. Uh, I just got so involved in drugs. Uh, wound up, somebody introduced me to cocaine. I started selling cocaine, cannabis, amphetamines, all kinds of different drugs. And then one day, trying to pay for my drug habit, I was selling two ounces of cocaine, and it turned out to be to a Los Angeles County Sheriff's Narcotics Officer who had no sense of humor. So I did nine months and 25 days, six hours and 32 minutes at Wayside Honor Ranch, a minimum security prison. So that means barracks, not cells. And that's in California, isn't and it? That's in California, yes. Uh, I'm from Los Angeles originally. And so, thinking that was the most terrible thing that could happen to me, it turned out to be probably the best thing that could have possibly happened to me. They had a chapel there. And Pastor Hines, he had services six nights a week. And it dawned on me that, you know what, I need to get to church. And so I started going to church. And then on Christmas Eve, 1977, I gave my heart to the Lord. And uh, I, I would love to say everything was great after that. I had eight months left to go. And um, we had a riot there, uh, lockdown, lots of guards with automatic weapons, helicopters, the whole thing. But you know, the day I got out, a Christian family I'd never met loaned me a car as long as I needed it. The, uh, the business I had worked at held my job for me for one year. And a set of uh, friends that I used to sell drugs to had rededicated their lives to Christ, invited me to live with them, and that was the beginning of a home church. And so all that was provided me the day I walked out of jail. God sincerely blessed me. And things really went really well for a while. But it started going downhill. Cannabis crept back in. And then we did a geographical move from Los Angeles to Central California, about 70 miles northwest of Yosemite National Park. And we started a Southern Rock Christian band. I learned how to play bass because of that. And started doing outreach, but still drugs started to creep back in. I, I met a girl that I thought was gonna be the woman of my dreams. Uh, we got into a sexual relationship outside of marriage and abortion. Uh, we got married anyway. It didn't take long for her to walk out and divorce me. And my world came tumbling down around me. I was working at a gold mine at that time. I worked there for 10 years. 
Drugs were everywhere. And so I got back into drugs, back into that old love I had. And things got worse than ever before. And for me, part of my journey with drugs was also with pornography, which is not unusual, especially for guys. There's, also, there's often sexual issues going along with it. And it got really, really terrible. One day I found myself in a cheap motel room in Merced, California, surrounded by meth, cannabis, and pornography. And I realized that if I didn't make some changes in my life and make them soon, they were going to find me dead in a room like that pretty quick. So I did what they call in the rooms of anonymous fellowships, a geographical. I moved back to Southern California. The party kept on for a little bit, but disintegrated because I was mandated to go to 100 anonymous fellowship meetings by the state of California. After five years of that, it dawned on me I needed to get back to church. I got back to church. The drugs got all out of my life because I got involved in everything I could, and that's where I met this person. <laughs> I have a different story to tell. But somehow God has woven our lives together. In my early teenage years, I began to struggle with depression and not really understanding what was going on. Kept, I kept pushing at school and music, thinking that achieving more was the answer, all the time thinking, I'm not good enough. I started struggling with major headaches to the point of migraines, migraines, and a lot of digestive issues. You know how the body just can take over at that point. I hated school, had very few friends, and a very noisy home life. I had four younger siblings, dad was a vicar and mum a teacher. I just had to find ways to escape. Books and a very vivid fantasy world, food binging, and the beginnings of sexual discovery were my ways out. Even running off to marry someone who not so long afterwards divorced me. These escape paths grew to being out of control through my 20s and 30s, but easy to hide. So no one knew or really knew there was a problem. Or no one told me. No one talked to me. I was living in a cycle of blame, shame, and guilt, continually condemning myself and not able to break this cycle. And by the way, I had already made a serious confession of faith. And this, in many ways, made the self-condemnation worse until I truly understood the freedom and grace of Romans 8.1. This took a very long time and a lot of really good Christian friends coming alongside. Much biblical counsel. And slowly I began to live in freedom. God is good. In my 40s, I began to train as a lay biblical counselor in Germany. And for the next 20 years, this has been my passion, coming alongside the trapped and the struggling. In 2004, I met my husband. Here he is. He is honestly God's best gift to me. I remember asking him just before we got married whether he would like, like me to give up my official, my official ministry work or missionary work and be a part of a local church community doing exactly the same, by the way. He, re no, he replied, no, I would like to join you. So after our marriage in 2005, the adventure began and the ministry we now have started to be established. And at a side, on a side note there, 
Yes, I had quite a bit of fear marrying someone with such a past. past. But I can tell you that God had a purpose and that fear soon disappeared. The Lord impressed upon my heart that I really needed to share my journey with her before we ever got married. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So as we move on to the present conditions of mental health and addictions, let me share two slides that begin, begin recent research carried out by the Kintsugi Hope, a mental health charity based here in the UK, seeking to provide safe group places for everyone to help grow, flourish, and love one another. This is what they say about the church. The church is in every community across the country. It will outlast government schemes and is committed to people's well-being, physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual. So listen to the following, and then we'll be having our first breakout session. The mental health charity Kintsugi Hope surveyed 1,079 Christians from various denominations and interviewed dozens of church leaders to reveal some striking findings. Of those polled, 43% had experienced a mental health issue significantly higher than the one in four statistic we often hear. Of those, only 35% said their church community had been particularly supportive. More concerning is the 91% who believe mental health remains stigmatized, with more than half saying their church rarely or never spoke about it. Kintsugi Hope was encouraged to find the interviewees overwhelmingly agreed that churches can help people experience, experiencing mental health issues. However, the research indicated a clear need for more local churches to create welcoming, safe, and supportive mental health friendly communities. Now we're going to break out into our first little group work. And here we go. Around five minutes, I'll bring you back. Um, what would it take for the church to provide safe and compassionate places for those struggling with addictive life-controlling life behaviors? Turn into groups two, three, fours around you and talk about not just the ideal, but the things that can get into the way and trap that and stop that happening as well. And then we'll have a quick feedback afterwards. So, thank you. Well, let's hear a little bit of feedback. I think we'll have three bits of feedback because we've, we've got an hour to cover everything. So, can we have something from down here of what you discussed? Anyone want to share something? Go for it. <laughs> what am I going to say? <laughs> um, we felt that... Um, in the context of church, the how are you question sometimes doesn't want to be answered and the answer fine is as far as people want to go. And the solution to jump over that wall is about building authentic relationships and creating a structure that will allow that to happen. Very good. So Thank authentic you. relationships and creating a structure for that to happen. Yes, beautiful. Can we have something from this area? Who would, like to, who would like to share here? One of you. <laughs> Thank you. 
we thought a, a team approach was very important uh, of people who had some knowledge and understanding of the subjects that they were dealing with, not novices who are coming in almost to do maybe a wee bit more damage than, than good, but, but a, very much a team approach rather than maybe a one-on-one -on -one because it can be just a, a revolving situation and they just need to support each other in that. Thank you, that was very, very useful. A team approach and people who know what they're doing, basically. And training is quite is, is very important. This is not, not a field to play with or touch into or overstep the mark. You really know, need to know how to signpost. We do do some one-on-ones, but you also need to know your limits and have that. If you're working as a pastoral team at your church, you need to discuss those limits, which is brilliant and very useful. Can we have... Can we have something from the back here? Anybody? Thank you. Create a, a confidential environment that if somebody comes and shares, they know it's not going to be prayed at the prayer meeting and then everybody else knows about it. Very important. Yes. Confidentiality. A safe place where people can be transparent and open and clear about what's going on in their lives. And it's great team as a necessity you need to go into a situation like this with backup. That's important. Yes. We have learned trial and error. We have been down the rough road too. We've been not. <laughs> so yes. But you know, we all have an addiction. We're addicted to sin. And we all have specific sins in our lives that draw us into their trap, their clutches. And we would all love to say we're perfect Christians now and we no longer have sin in our lives, but we also know that that's not the case. So we have a little bit of experience there. Not quite the same. So we thought we'd share a little bit about how we started the ministry in London and what changed as we moved into COVID. There's a whole story, if you really want to find out, of how we actually came to London. God's footprint was every step of the way, and it was not actually the direction we were going. We were both in Los Angeles at the time and in the States, doing a little bit of work with addictions, but we had no clue what God was going to do. But God definitely moved, and back in 2013, we had no idea that he was going to do what he did. So all sellers began to recognize that they needed a place for people who were struggling with addictive behaviors through their outreach to the homeless community. And we were looking to move to Europe, and we had the idea of Germany, because Sally had worked in Germany on a church plant there, uh, for many years. Uh, through the promotion of my book, uh, I have a book. It's actually, which we were su really surprised it about. It's in the, ch it's in the book, sh it's been the bookstore. There's at least 10 copies of it if you want to really know his story. Yes, it's actually <laughs> in the bookstore and we're, wow, I was surprised. But anyway, if you're interested in finding <laughs> out more about me personally and, and a little bit about us, it's definitely available and uh, easy reading. Um, and where was I now? <laughs> we used uh, the recovery ministry from another church, Holy Trinity Brompton, uh, for the first couple years that we were at All Souls. And we'd meet together. We began on a Saturday. And we just had a, a couple of guys who were Chinese, and they were addicted to gambling. And uh, it just kind of grew, the ministry grew from there. Now, the course we were using at that time was 18 weeks long. And, and some of the, we had questions, and some of the questions were, 
147 questions on one week about sexuality. We thought that was way too much to get anyone who was addicted to anything to actually answer. Very short attention spans, yeah. and we needed to keep that in mind. Yes. Yeah. So we always started each evening with a meal. We got to the point where we do jack up potatoes because that was fairly easy, and most people like them. You know, um, a vital component that came out of that was the community that was beginning to be built around sharing a meal together. And we would have 12 to 30, sometimes 35. It changed from week to week. So you had to be really flexible in this ministry because people who walk through the door it takes a heck of a lot of courage to walk through the door with issues. So you've got to be really flexible as a team to be able to, to cope with that. I've actually heard people say as they walked in the door, I made it. Because it, it was a, a huge traumatic thing for them. Also... Bear in mind, if you do have a donations box, you need to keep it locked. We learned the hard way. Yes, yes, you have to be very, very, very wise because people are in process of their recovery. Yes. yes. Now, the recourse that we had from Holy Trinity Brompton, we, we rewrote. Every time we, we presented it, we rewrote it and changed it because we wanted it to be more biblically focused than what we had. And then 2017, we were asked to write our own course based on, based on our own experiences. And the vicar who suggested this suggested the book of Galatians. With a, and we thought that we wanted a little bit simpler format than the course that we had been presenting and not quite as long. Um, something that would be a little easier for people who were struggling with their attention expands. Not a three-point sermon, one point, one topic. If someone could go away with one verse and one topic each time, you're doing well, really well. Yeah. We did this in person until 2020, so it's about six or seven years, and when COVID struck us all. We were in the USA as all of this happened, visiting John's dad for two weeks or so we thought. It turned out to be three months in a large caravan at our, at our American mission headquarters in Texas. We just could not get home. We were grateful to see John's dad because he passed away at the end of that year. So yeah. it was the right move. Yeah. We filmed all of our teaching sessions very informally. We quickly learned Zoom. How many of us are Zoom experts now? Yep. And everything went online. Our geographical reach widened. And we have people connecting from all over the world, including Australia, US, Turkey, Spain, South Africa, and many, many places here in the UK. The loneliness and isolation became very apparent, multiplied in those who went into lockdowns with addictive and mental health issues. So let's move further into this. Addictions come under a broader category of mental health. And much of what we went through has impacted our mental health and also our addictive and life-controlling behaviors. Some of the following quotes are more general about mental health, but hugely relevant to addictions as well. The interesting thing about the relationship between addictions and mental health is that they can be circular. Mental health issues can feed into addictions. For example, anxiety. So you want to feel different. So you use to change how you feel. This then can turn, 
in turn change how your body works chemically and physically and can impact your mental health. Mike Trace from Forward Trust, an organization seeking to help those with addictive issues, writes about COVID and addictions. The results are not a surprise to many working in the addiction field. We know addiction feeds off isolation, a sense of hopelessness and disconnection. The pandemic in many ways is a perfect breeding ground for it. What starts with increasing consumption, reaching out for something familiar, is for an increasing number of people moving into a habit that they cannot control. And for many people, this creeps into an addiction that will take them by surprise. Corn Pilling from Sanctuary Mental Health, resourcing local churches for support of mental health and well-being rights. As the pandemic has progressed, it has become harder to ignore its impact on our well-being. Most of us have endured daily challenges and significant losses, and we have cared for others too. In addition, we have seen a continual growth in the number of reported mental health challenges requiring active help. In a collective trauma such as this, it will take us time to recover. And I think we've only just begun. Uh, we've heard uh, statements made that the NHS was overwhelmed and had at least a six-month backlog. Uh, we have a coworker who uh, works with addictions in Glasgow tell us that uh, addiction, uh, death from addiction was the number one source of death in that city. We can recover together, but it's gonna take some effort. Collective trauma occurs when a community is impacted by adverse events. To recover from collective trauma, community reconnection is a key. We need to mourn, listen, and celebrate together. We need to make sure no one is left behind. Yeah. Yet many of us are weary. A consistent picture sanctuary hears from churches is that the need is seen, yet many are at capacity. Churches have served their communities tirelessly. Talk of a mental health crisis can feel paralyzing. We need to recover by resourcing leaders and members rather than creating extra burdens. It is important to realize that we have all been through a trauma of COVID. And this is going to impact and has impacted the world of addictive issues. Collective trauma needs a collective shared solution. But as we've already heard, many are weary and at capacity. More on this as we share about a biblical model and support groups a little later on. First, we're stepping back a little and showing a little about addictions and the link with both mental and physical health. Here's a quote from the NHS. And I've just got the, the link up there. I know it's a long one. Substance misuse develops when you continue to take substances which change the way you feel and think, such as alcohol, drugs, food. Even though they may cause problems with your body, your mind, and the way you behave. The most commonly misused substances are alcohol, cigarettes, opiates, stimulants, and food. There are many reasons why people take and start substances. Some people start because they feel curious or rebellious. I've even heard people say because they're bored. Or because they're influenced by friends and family. Other people start when they're feeling unhappy or stressed. 
And one of the things that a friend of mine who's a dynamic psychotherapist often says is even if we know the consequences of our choice, that doesn't dissuade us from making the choice. Substances can give you a feeling of well-being, and we all long for that, that lasts for a short time. This can be enjoyable and make, make you feel like you can cope more easily with problems you're experiencing. The downside of this is that you may feel that you need to keep on taking the same substance and slowly develop more and more to stay feeling that way. Looking back in retrospect of my decades of cannabis use, I, I used, I think, because I was depressed. And that was one of the I self-medicated. Now, taking substances becomes a problem when you start to depend upon them. And when you feel you need to take a substance to feel good or to feel less bad, this may mean you become addicted. Addiction can be physical and or psychological. Having a physical addiction means that taking a substance has changed your body's chemistry. So it can't cope without that substance. A psychological addiction is said to develop when your mind, not your body, can't cope without that substance. In practice, people who use substances heavily tend to experience both physical and psychological addiction. Yeah. And that being said, most physical addictions can be overdone yeah, within 30 days, 90 days at, at the outmost. So the mental can go on for years. Yeah, it's a psychological that most of yeah. us will be tackling. I mean, I haven't done meth in more than 20 years. And every once in a while, I get the, that urge. Yeah. One more shot, you know? Misusing substances can, and has harmful effects, let's, let's face it. It has a harmful effect on your physical and mental health. And it can often be a result, uh, can, difficult to separate the two. It can also affect the way you behave, causing problems in your relationships, your jobs, and in your daily life. This is a clear statement about the impact of addictions on both the physical and the mind. Put this together with the isolations and fears of COVID and people just wanting to feel different, the impact is magnified. The following is a quote from the Forward Trust concerning young people in 2021. Worryingly, our results also indicated that up to 1 million children and young people between the ages of 12 to 25 could themselves have shown an increase in addictive behavior during lockdown, a significant increase from the previous year. 33% of those polled said that the individual's close family are likely to need support services as a result of this behavior. For the UK, this would mean over 600,000 families needing support and access to services. Uh, the Action on Addiction charity in the UK, it saw a 86% rise in the number of people seeking help this January 2021 compared with last year. That's a massive rise yeah. in one year. Thinking about all of this, let's return to the local church. So how can the local church provide a welcoming, accepting place for those struggling with addictive issues? Change of culture, renewed minds, needs to start not only with the addicted, but the local church communities as well. And I guess our big question is, are we willing? And we now move into our second, break, our second breakout group. And this is, what renewed thinking do you think needs to happen in your local church community 
for effective help to happen. Let's just turn to the groups and do two to three minutes on that, maybe a little bit more. Thanks. What renewed thinking do you need things to happen in your local church community for effective help to happen? Let's have some water. Let's have a couple, one from this side and one from this side. just sort of felt that it, we needed to acknowledge that this was out there and start the conversations around it and obviously there's a big jump from that to feeling able to deal with it but that just acknowledging that the problem was there and talking about it would be the first step. Thank you. Acknowledge the problem and talking about it. Thank you. And someone from over here. <laughs> Scottish friend. We thought um, that uh, initially, if you have people within your fellowship that are, have the confidence to go and speak to an addict, and then as a result of speaking with that addict, that God has moved in his life and changed his life. And we all know God can change lives. Amen. But that will encourage the church to get behind and therefore change their thinking that we can do, as a fellowship, we can do thinking. We can do something with God in changing our own thinking and changing the lives of people that have addicts. Amen. Thank you. Starting with someone brave enough to build a relationship with an addict and then bring that into the local church. Just some... Something to do with talking on both sides there. Starting a conversation, isn't there, really? And moving forward with a lot of courage. Yes, so. building relationships is a massive thing to do. Uh, bringing it out into the open is a huge help, but you know, also Church Rica Tice would, would interview me on a Sunday, and I might get one person to come up to talk to me out of 600, because there's a stigma about outing yourself in front of the entire congregation. So there needs to be some safe places built there somehow. We had the luxury of having a place which wasn't the front door of the local, of our church. People did not see them come in. They could, yeah. there was a place where they could meet. That might be worth thinking, yeah. at least for people who are beginning this journey. Um, while you're encouraging the church to grow in this ministry. We've got a few verses here. We're not, we, for time's sake, we are not going to read them all out. Carry each other burden, Galatians 6.2. James 5, 5.1. Growing together to become more like Christ, 2 Corinthians 5.17. And transformation, Romans 12.1-2. Okay. There's lots of biblical prerogative that draws us together to encourage each other to walk that narrow path. This is the simple, practical, biblical model that we, we use. And I talked to someone before the meeting. They say they come together, they have tea and coffee, they serve sandwiches sometimes. That's a place where community starts. 
the conversation takes place when that happens. And so if we can learn how to do that with those with addictive behaviors, another issue I think is a book club looking at books that um, yeah. might be good for men who have addiction issues with pornography, those types of things. And which I do one every Saturday morning at 9 a.m. on Zoom. Yes, you do. And then we have um, a very, we try and keep it as simple as possible. We have one thought, like we've mentioned before, a thought or teaching relevant to addictive struggles and always pointing to freedom. Yeah. Hope and freedom. And then support groups. We do single-sexed mixed issues support group. We don't divide them up into issues and we don't, but, and for various reasons we have single-sex groups. We know that the Line's getting blurry these days, but it, it, we are finding, we find that easier. People open up women to women, men to men far easier yeah. in a lot of these issues. Yeah. And community support. I mean, if you can come together in some places, a group of church coming together, non-denominational might even be of a bonus for the community itself. Yeah. So that's another option to walk. And our ministry, Free Recovery, this is what we've put about free recovery support groups. These groups exist to provide a safe place, a place of community, a place to find relief, rescue and freedom from life's tough issues. And that really does link up with the beginning to talk about your issues and opening up. And we may think sometimes that our Bible study groups should be that place but it just often is not the appropriate place to talk about these deep issues, especially if there's sexual issues involved. You need to be able to separate men and women to be able to do that comfortably for most people. Not for all, but for most. If you go onto our website, which we have on the very last side, we have a big old, big sort of page on more about us or the support group work. And we've also brought cards with all that information with us. Uh, if anybody would, would like any of that, so that we can maybe help you get this started. Our free model is a 10-session, biblically-based, Christ-centered resource rooted in the Book of Galatians, helping the addicted in the church and surrounding community explore and find freedom and relief in Christ Jesus. Each session takes a different theme related to recovery, seen through the lens of the Apostle Paul, with a couple of excursions into the Old Testament. In fact, the whole word of God is so rich. A key verse is central together with relevant stories. These teaching sessions are followed by single-sex mixed-issue support groups, as we've already mentioned, set up to be safe and compassionate communities, accessible to both believers and those seeking and exploring faith. Oftentimes, as I've sat in a group of eight or nine guys and someone new starts to share or listen to others share, he'll go, wow, I'm not alone. The realization that he's not the only one who suffers the addiction that he has yeah. is, can be amazing. That, that can be life-changing in itself. Keep it simple. One point a session. Remember, we're all broken sinners. A shared meal, compassionate and safe places to talk and build trust. We've already heard about that today. An important aspect is learn how to signpost people to the proper places if you don't have the skills or the knowledge to be able to help them. This can become quite complex. People are quite messy. 
yeah. and they come with a mixture of issues and you can sl you can very quickly feel as if you're out of your depth yes. the very thing you can do and do not fear pulling someone aside and saying i'm going to do my best to find you the person that can help but i would you let me pray for you right now yeah. and i'm going to give you this little verse for you to take in your purse or in your pocket and if you want to call me I can provide I can pray for you put your boundaries up put your yeah. boundaries up yeah. I can pray for you but I'm going to find you that that person that can really help you through this if you if you feel out of your depth someone who has suicidal ideation may be beyond our scope to be able to actually handle and to help and support properly. And so we need to be able to point them to the right organization that can provide that for them. Yeah. But always pray, always pray. Yeah. On your handout, you'll see a chart of our weekly themes. And we're not gonna go through that now because we have run out of time. Yeah. And, but we are happy to talk to anybody afterwards. We go through themes Life is out of control, relapse, triggers and temptations, idols, gratitude, circumstances, choices and consequences, the lies we believe, children not slaves, freedom, and then looking outward. And you might find that you have to spend five, ten minute weeks on each of those. Yeah. But we do, our, we, or you run the course many times. Yeah. We have people coming many, many times. Um, Three times through the course is not unusual. Yeah. And that's okay. Yeah. We are now based in Somerset, close to my elderly parents. And we have known for a while that free ministry was larger than just one church. Yeah. And we desired to re replicate this ministry in local churches throughout the UK. That's our vision. So we start a filming project on September 5th for fresh new filming of all of our sessions. Your prayers would be greatly appreciated. We hope to have a completed package by the end of the year. Beginning of next year, I think it's more, yeah. more realistic. <laughs> but available on a website for you to upload and download if you want something yeah. to happen in your local church. Do we have any time for Q&A or have we run out? Maybe one or two, one, one. Anyone's got a burning question they want to ask or something they want to say? We must have covered... I guess we answered all the questions. <laughs> but if any... Oh. Yeah, I'm going to hand that to my husband, that question. The question is, which you didn't hear, John. I did not. Do you speak... This is in a nutshell. Absolute nutshell. Do you speak to somebody who is under the influence or drink or drugs, or do you wait and say, come back when they're sober? Yes. <laughs> I do speak to people if they're under the, under the effects of uh, whatever it happens to be, because the Holy Spirit can break through that. And uh, even if they forget, the Holy Spirit will nudge them. And I believe in the God, power of God. And so I don't discount anything when I speak to anyone. I'll, and I'm more than happy to pray with anyone at any time about any subject, as far as I can think of. Yeah. So you really have to pray that the Holy Spirit breaks through at that point. Now, there, there's probably a limit to, to what the tolerance is there. But yes, yeah. the answer is yes. Mark, you. could you close us in prayer?
Thank you. I just want to add one little thing to that, if that's okay. I'm a church minister, so I have been in that situation that you have just uh, described. And yes, talk, but make sure you're safe because you don't know how they're going to respond. Um, I, I uh, I always carry with me when I'm on duty little gospel tracks, a little track called uh, Knowing God Personally. And, and one particular gentleman uh, came into church, was under the influence of alcohol, spoke to him very quickly, could see he wasn't going to respond, gave him the little track which had my number on the back of it. And the next day he phoned me and said, I found this in my pocket, I've just read it and I need to come and talk to you about Jesus. So I would say, yes, talk, but make sure you're safe. Absolutely. Make sure you're safe. Anyway, thank you, John and Sally. I think we'll show them our appreciation. And, uh, and so that's just, again, that's just quieting ourselves before the Lord, and we'll, we'll bow our heads. We'll just take a moment of quietness uh, where you can bring before the Lord anything that has stirred up within you during this, uh, this last hour uh, and, lay it, uh, and lay it before him. round in all our prayers into one we pray as Jesus taught us our Father who art in heaven hallowed be thy name thy kingdom come thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil for thine is the kingdom the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. And may the amazing grace of the Master Jesus Christ, the unending love of God the Father, and the intimate fellowship of the Holy Spirit bless, preserve, and keep each one this day and forevermore. Amen. Enjoy your lunch, enjoy your afternoon, and remember the evening celebration at 7.30 tonight. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this talk. If you would like to know more about New Horizon, please visit our website at newhorizon.org.uk.